Welcome to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. It's time to make mental health a normal conversation with your host, Shane Kelton. Welcome back to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. Today, you're about to listen to a great chat with Dylan Roos. Just a little bit about Dylan. Dylan works exclusively with young men through his Prince to King mentorship program. His greatest passion is helping young men fulfill their potential empowering independent young men to find their power, passion and purpose by transforming them from prince to kings. Dylan is dedicated to helping young boys grow into young men whilst also debunking the myths. So through this podcast, we talk a lot about Dylan's story and how he wants to embark on giving the tools to young men of the next generation and the tools that he wish he had. Dylan also runs specialised programs working with men in ever-changing landscapes surrounding what it is to be masculine. It is important to not forget what true healthy masculinity behaviour looks like. Running multiple businesses in the men's space over the last three years, one focused on challenging elite leaders of Melbourne to look after themselves better, and the other, the Momentum Lifestyle Project, is for 30 to 40-year-old men. Using his own journey and past experiences, Dylan will guide you on your journey coming from a place of compassion and respect. Dylan grew up and spent the majority of his life in Sydney under the guidance of his father, Paul, a retired AFL Hall of Famer and Premiership coach, and mother, Tammy, one of Australia's leading wellness consultants. I promise you will love this chat with Dylan. There is a lot to take out of it, things that will help you, whether you're a man, a boy, a lady, or a girl, there's some fantastic things that will help you evolve and change. Stay tuned, listening. Today's guest is uh, a fantastic uh, man. Um, if we'd call himself a king, Prince the King. Um, we'll throw that in there now. We've got, we've got Dylan Roos joining me today. How are you? Matt, I'm very well, thank you. I don't know if I would I would go that far <laughs> as calling myself a king, though, but I... I do try to lead and, and serve or be of service, which is kind of how I define what, what being a king is, but I definitely do not go by a king. <laughs> I just wanted to test that ego out. First, right, yeah. up, right off the bat to see if the yeah. ego, ego would pop up and it didn't. Yeah. There was a bit of laughter. So I do I do have a crown tattoo on my chest, actually. If you oh, see you that there. Yeah, but yeah. no, I don't. I don't ever call myself a king <laughs> definitely not it would it'd probably just go against everything you sort of practice to be honest yeah yes yeah it, it absolutely would it would be it'd be strange if i was proclaiming yeah royalty um whilst doing this work i think doing the work requires a certain level of humbleness although i've been told that i can be quite overconfident at times so it's definitely something that i'm working on <laughs> uh, well this this we're always about going from one end to the other and finding the balance eventually at times and whatever it may be so i want to talk to you today about everything you're doing to help men um and essentially women as well um by a byproduct of that mm. but it was i was reading one of your blogs um the other day which i actually couldn't find yesterday when i went to refind it and it was one of you two that blogged from 2018 and you don't get too stuck in your own story. Um, mm. And I wanted to get that across because I did. And I, I so when I'm going to ask you a few of these questions today, I'm going to ask from a person who is, was quite stuck in their story because I think yeah, yeah. the people that need a lot of the help and probably that come to you are, are quite stuck in, in their narrative and their story mm. and, and find really hard to get out of. So before we touch on that, I do want to, 
delve into a little bit of your story and yeah. ask, you know, tell you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, the challenges you've overcome, and, and I guess oh, I've read a little bit, but what was the turning point for you? Because as a young male, we always go through something. And as a teacher now and a coach, you, you didn't get to where you are by not going through some of that mm. stuff yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the the big turning point and the big experience that I went through and and that I probably had to go through, to be honest, as you said, like a lot of guys, unfortunately, it takes us to hit whatever our version of rock bottom is before we reach out for help, um, which is something that I see shifting a little bit, but it is pretty common, especially for guys our age and up. Um, and that experience for me was a breakup, which again is is really common amongst men is it takes a breakup to kind of push us towards self-reflection and, and working on ourselves. But um, yeah, so I was about 20, 21 years old, I think. And um, yeah, went through a pretty bad breakup, really messy. Um, and from there I had what I describe as like the best six months of my life and the worst six months of my life outside looking in, I was living with a best mate in an apartment in Coogee that my parents had bought. So I was living large, lavishly, um, going to uni and having the best time ever. I was around all my mates drinking a lot. I was, you know, 2021, that's what you do. So, um, yeah, externally facing was having the time of my life and internally what was going on underneath the surface, which I was really unaware of for the most part was this grief, this, this festering um, sadness for the relationship that I'd lost and, and the breakup that I'd gone through. And to be honest, upon further reflection years down the track, it was really how I acted that I was really struggling with internally at the time and, and how I acted through the breakup towards someone that I claimed to love. Um, and so six months of really losing myself, um, you know, walking away from my good habits that I had. So I stopped exercising. I started eating really poorly. I was drinking way more than I usually drank like two, three times a week, every week. Um, I wasn't meditating. I wasn't journaling, wasn't really getting out of the house much. And it took six months of this really poor behavior for it to, you know, overnight um, hit me and, and I didn't get out of bed for about a week. And that was my wake up call was hang on. This isn't just a hangover anymore. I haven't left my bedroom in a week. So I put my hand up pretty quickly once that happened and went and saw a psychologist. um, And that's when he diagnosed me with depression and anxiety. And that really became the, um, the experience that made me work on myself. You know, I remember leaving that psychologist's office and thinking two things. One, amazing. There's a problem that I'm now aware of and I can, make steps to fix it because without awareness we're we're walking in the dark essentially. Yeah. And then the second one was just an immense um feeling of guilt and shame. You know, as I said, I was really fortunate in my upbringing. I had no deaths in my family at that stage. I had all my both my grandparents, had all my family members, my parents were still together, happily married. I went to a great private school. I was going to uni. I was living in this amazing apartment. Life was really great. Um, and so I felt just a lot of shame around 
why the fuck are you depressed and, and anxious, Dylan? Um, and so that was something that I've overcome now, but was something that I had to really work on and um, was probably one of the first things that I had to work on coming out of that doctor's office was understanding what is mental health, what, a men- what is mental illness, um, what's depression, what's anxiety, really wrapping my head around these things that I was going through. And then from there, that just became a snowball on effect that drove me to want to help other people, but more so as a, um, as a byproduct of that experience is what I ended up getting into. So I, I ended up from there, like doing construction in America, doing real estate, marketing, sports management, uh, a lot of hospo work as I was building my business, but didn't know what I wanted to do as most young 20 year olds um, yeah. attest to. Um, and then all of a sudden I kind of fell into coaching. And when I fell into coaching, I realized, yep, this is absolutely what I want to do. And I absolutely love this work. And then, you know, over the course of two, three years of working with dad in, in the men's space, we started a business called the Ruse Men's Wellness and Leadership Club, um, working specifically with men around their wellness and obviously business and, and leadership by the name. Um, and from there just got really a better understanding of where I wanted to work and, and what I wanted to do in the space and what that looks like. And so now I'm working, you know, in my, in my Prince to King mentorship, which is 14 years and up and, and specific and boys only work. And then another business that I started with two partners, um, Blake and Janelle called the momentum lifestyle project where we work with predominantly probably 30 years and up men, um, in our flagship program, um, which is a 10 week online mentorship. So yeah, that's, that's essentially my story and, and kind of where I've come from and what got me here. Um, and why I'm so fucking passionate about just working with men and, um, and helping support men through whatever challenges they're going through, but also to challenge them as well. At Momentum, we talk about championing and challenging. So having both that supportive piece, but also that like, mate, you can, you know, that you're kind of stuck in your own bullshit right here, or you're stuck in, you know, as what you mentioned, you're kind of stuck in your story right here. And there's actually, it's time for you to step out of that story or step out of your own way to use, to use um, different language. So yeah, that, that's the, the long winded uh, story of, of Dylan Roos and how he came to yeah, be working in this space. It's it's funny how, and you probably get this with a lot of the people you work with, they probably go, if they if you share parts of this um, through your program or, or in general, they're probably like, geez, that really resonates with me. And I was sitting there and you're like 21, break up, fell apart, and I was like, tick, 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 yeah. as is exactly me, like, and, so I tried to take my own life a, a month after the breakup and that mm. was where I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety and mm. yeah, it was yeah, exactly the same thing. You, it's walking away with this relief, but then it's like, what the, like I haven't learned anything about this whatsoever. And yeah. then you look back and you're like, if I learned this at 13, my life would be so mm. different. But then you're like, yeah, but where I am today is I'm still, I'm not, a, can't be ashamed of that. So Yeah, exactly right. Well, I guess the, the first question you said you walk away, you had that shame and that embarrassment and how did you sort of work yourself through not feeling that anymore? Because that's that's something that not only with sort of depression and anxiety or yep. this sense of, you know, you had, you had everything externally going right for you. A lot of people have this shame and embarrassment. How, mm. how do you find a way through that? 
To be honest, I think there was a level of, <clears throat> and there always has been and still to this day, there's a level of detachment from my mental illness. There's a level of like, I'm not really wanting to accept that as my reality. And it's a tough, it, it, it's a really tough balancing act because there are days, even still to this day, I, I know maybe two or three weeks ago, I had a pretty rough week. And when I'm having a rough week, it's about accepting, okay, I'm, I'm in this space now. What can I do to, to help? I, I, I use the analogy of when you're down, help yourself get back up. Don't kick yourself when you're down. So I, I kind of look at myself as this third person and go, okay, I've woken up and I don't feel great today, right? For whatever reason, I need to help myself get back to where I need to be, which is feeling good, which is what I'm at 90% of the time now, 95% of the time. And so when I'm in that space, um, you know, I, I, I set my expectations a lot lower of myself. Okay. I'm not going to try to do everything. I'm going to work out. I'm going to get outside. I'm going to, you know, for me, like I'll eat food that I really enjoy. Like I'll, I'll go and get, I'll go and without any guilt, go get myself a burger and I'll have, whatever I need to have, I'll go get my favorite breakfast or whatever, right? I'll go and do things that fill up my joy meter. Um, and, and then the tried and true practices that I know work meditation, journaling and exercise, and then sunlight, um, are my big ones. And then I've really practiced. And I, I say practice because it doesn't come naturally to, I would say it doesn't come naturally to anyone. I think women just practice it from an earlier age and get good at it by the time they're adults. Whereas, boys and young men don't practice it. So by the time they get to adults, they're not good at it, but reaching out to people and saying, Hey, I'm struggling. Even though yeah. I don't want to talk about it, let's talk about it. Um, and it, so in those, so in those places, I do help myself get back up. Right. But when I'm doing really well and, and even just on a general psyche point of view or how I view it, there's a level of detachment of, okay, I have depression and anxiety, not I am depressed and anxious. And I think there's a big difference where I've seen amazing, beautiful, smart, happy people from my childhood get diagnosed with mental illnesses. And then that is the catalyst for their mental health and those mental illnesses to take grip of their life because they yeah. become so attached to what the doctors said. They become so attached to what that is. And you, you, you've got no hope. They're, they're, you become hopeless because you say, well, I am depressed and I am this. And I've always, even when I first found out, it was like, the, the, as I kind of explained, it was great. I'm aware of it and I can find solutions. Great. That was, that was kind of that first feeling was awesome, but I, I'm not attached to this at all. And that's not, it, was, it wasn't like, oh, I'm depressed and anxious and that's going to be the rest of my life. It was, I'm depressed and anxious and I'm going to find a way to manage this as best I can. Yeah. And so, you know, even, even in my story, I wasn't exercising. I wasn't meditating. I was drinking three times a week and I wasn't really getting outside of the house. No shit. I was depressed <laughs> and anxious, right? Anyone, I don't care who you are, you do that long enough and you'll become depressed and anxious. So plus not dealing with, we, we have this um, strange idea of what trauma is. We say trauma and we think, the big T, right? The big yeah. traumas, death, assault, sexual assault, yeah. like childhood traumas with the big T, right? But trauma can, can be a breakup, like can be something that really emotionally affects you. And so you couple all my good habits went out the window, plus the 
trauma of a breakup, which I was not resolving again, no shit. I was depressed <laughs> and anxious. And so, um, getting over that. So back to your question around getting over the level of shame, um, that came with it was, I, I, I guess understanding that it's a human response to human experiences yeah. and at, coupled with that detachment. So understanding that, okay, I have depression and anxiety, but I'm not going to stay here. And when I am there, I'm going to do my best to take care of myself and get myself out of there. And even, you know, even that language is pretty different to how I hear some of my friends talk about it or people talk about it, which is I just need to get over it. I just need to, I need to get out of this space. And it's like, when I'm in this space, I'm not in a haste to get out of it. Yeah. It, for me, it's, there's something that I need to learn here. There's some, for some reason I'm here and there is a reason I've gotten here. Okay. Why is that? Why am I experiencing this? What's going on in my mind? Okay, cool. Three weeks ago, I felt really hopeless to the situation that was COVID and what was going on. So obviously I'm going to have a human response to that, even with all my good habits in play. And so just helping myself get through that through more journaling, more meditating, more exercise, more friends, more sunlight, just sticking to it. It might take three or four days, but I'll eventually get out of it. And I haven't rushed the experience. I haven't like, I feel like there's this, even as I'm speaking, there's this idea that you can't ever be there as a coach, as doing the work. Like there's then a level of shame of like, oh, you're meant to be coaching people on this. Why are you you don't have your shit together. And it's like, fuck no, I never said I had my shit together. <laughs> I'm never someone that, I'm oh, never <laughs> I've never found anyone that's completely got their shit together. And that's yeah. like, it's the biggest, it's, it's one of the biggest myths out there that, that the coach has their shit together. And I guess yeah. it's a, a prime example of what's happening at elite sport in all levels now is a coach being vulnerable to their situation yeah. and then team succeeding because they're yeah. like, Oh wow, my coach is human. He's not yep. like this, and it's and I think there is obviously still a balance to that of the human element to oversharing and mm. um, all of that. But you're definitely right, and you know I think one of the things that Nick um, at MindFit said to me um, when we we're going through the early birth of our son and hospitals and all that with deaths and stuff, he said it would be abnormal for you to not be, yeah, to be doing well. An, ab, an abnormal response to an, ab, no, a normal response to an abnormal event is abnormal. Mm-hmm. And so you've got you to allow yourself to sometimes to sit in those yeah. uncomfortable situations. And as you said, I, I was picturing, I'll try and I'm very visual. I was picturing when you're in that space and your friend's saying, oh, I just got to get out of it and they're running away from it. But, yeah. It's still there. It's it's chasing you. Whereas if you if you don't if you just allow yourself to sort of move through it, mm. if it, it almost falls off and melts like I guess melts yeah. like snow, it, it just well if it's chasing you, all it takes is you to have a bad day and then it's caught up to you, right? Yeah. So you have to sit with it. Um, you have to, you know, I don't know who coined the phrase, but you know, I love the phrase "sit in the fire." You know, you have to sit in the fire and you have to let whatever it is burn away from you. And Jordan Peterson talks about it a lot as you're doing the work and as you're working on yourself and you're getting older and hopefully a lot of people are looking at working on themselves um, is you're killing off parts of yourself that no longer serve you. And 
the only way to do that is to recognize what those parts are and to fucking burn and sit in that uncomfortableness of, of whatever it is that you're going through. Um, and those people that numb and men are fucking really good at numbing, um, it eventually catches up to you and they're, or it takes more and more numbing. It takes more and more alcohol, it takes more and more drugs, it takes more and more sex, it takes more and more food, it takes more and more TV, Netflix, it takes more and more distraction for you to numb whatever it is you're feeling. But eventually it fucking gets you and it gains more and more power the longer it is that you've been numbing for. And so, again, Jordan Peterson talks about go and slay the dragons, go and slay your dragons, right? If I notice I'm not feeling great, I'm like, oh, I'm a little bit off today. And I spend 15 minutes journaling and I figure out what that is. I've just gone and slayed that dragon. It's done. Whereas a lot of people won't feel great. They'll push through, they get through the work day, they get to the end of the work day and they're tired and they'll have a beer and then another beer and then they'll go to sleep. They won't really have a great sleep and it's kind of still there and it, it kind of grows a little bit and you're like, okay, I see to work hard. I see to get through this day. I see to get through this week. I just need to get through the weekend and it's growing and it's growing and it's growing. And then all of a sudden you eventually go to look at it and maybe it's been a month and you're like, all right, let me fucking address whatever this is. And it's uh, this massive dragon yeah. or you never address it and it fucking comes and gets you. Um, and that's what happened to me in my story, right? I had six months of drinking and running and numbing and I'm good. I'm fine. Um, and then it gets, and then it got me if <laughs> I was out for a week in bed. Um, <laughs> and, it, and it does. And it spills, it spill, literally spills over into yeah. your life. Like everything around you then starts to start suffer as well. And yep. like you, if you're in a relationship, so if it's, if it's something like trauma or a past or whatever, and you're in a relationship, the relationship starts to fracture and then your yeah. job, your job starts to fracture and then you, you sport and then, Everything really? because you're trying to fight and you're trying to run away. Everything is yep. getting fractured, so you, you just need to sometimes slow down. Um, yeah, something that I I was pretty I, I had the um, uncommon experience growing up with dad being the coach of the Swans was I got an inside look into the footy club and and how people operated, and you could all but guarantee when a player had off-field dramas, he was not performing on the – every time, right? A player was going through an argument with the girlfriend or, or, or a breakup, um, some sort of family issues, whatever it was, that was the number one indicator that they weren't going to perform. It wasn't, oh, is he training well? Is he kicking well? Is he, is no. he, is he fit? Is he that? It's like, no, no, no. How's the rest of his life going? And if it was all good, then sweet. But if it was rocky, then it overflowed into into their sporting life. And it was something that I picked up from an early age, which was like, fuck, get your life sorted. And even, you know, when I was a young man dating at 14, 15, if I went through a breakup, oh, you know, the weekend I played horrible. That's all yeah, I was thinking yeah. about was the breakup, right? And But you're 14, 15 and no one cares that you went through a breakup because, oh, you'll get over it and... And, you know, there'll be other fish in the sea and, you know, mum and dad don't really take those breakups seriously. No one, no adult takes so seriously. The only people who do are, are your friends really. And they yeah. don't have the answers for you. They're <laughs> equally like, oh, fuck dude, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So yeah, it's interesting. That, that's, it's, it's funny because when I, two years ago, three years ago, um, I ended up going back to the mental health clinic and before before going into the clinic, because I just needed help because everything, as I said, everything was spilling over because I wasn't taking care of myself. Yeah. Um, and 
before I went into the mental health hospital, I played three or four games of cricket and was averaging like three. When I got out of hospital, I was averaging 50, like, mm. because I did the work on myself. And yeah. I was, it was easy. It felt, and I wasn't training and I wasn't doing extra work. Yeah. I, yeah. I just felt calm, composed and good. And it, I was just like, this, this, this stuff needs to be taught because yeah. If you're, but it's, it's out there, it's everywhere. If you want to find it, it's out there. There's no yeah. doubt about that. And we know that if you, if you want to find more people that are drinking or feeling like shit or in their own pity party, you'll find it. There's just, yeah. you, you'll find what you're looking for. Um, yeah. essentially. It, it's you, funny. I've got two circles of people. Essentially I've got, um, my, my mates from when I was younger and have, have kind of grown up with, and then I've got my mates that I've cultivated through real intention of like, who do I want in my life? And one of the main differences I would say is, is my the mates that I grew up with or the people that I grew up with have that mentality of, of going it alone of, of I've got the answers and it's yeah. funny and my, my, you know, nothing, wrong with that like that was me and yeah, was yeah, 20, yeah. you know that was me until i was like 24 25 right before i got any sort of coaching and um um whereas my my new circle of friends it's interesting that once they recognize a pattern or a problem within their life that becomes a pattern they, they're really quick to like go and find a coach and go and find some method to solve the issue um and then it becomes solved, which is yeah. really, really interesting, right? Like who would have thought? And and it's funny when I'm, when I'm speaking to my mates, it's like I know that some of my friends have problems that they've been dealing with for like two, three, four years, right? And you make friendly suggestions around, oh, what about this and what about that? And blah, blah, blah. like you can't make someone do the work, as you know, but you can make friendly suggestions. And it's like, oh, don't worry, like I've got – I've got my psychologist and that's working really well, or I've got this or I've got that. And you're like, is it? Cause we've had this conversation 15 times like over the past three years. So it can't be working that well. Right. But I'll never forget um, this podcast that Steve-O remember Steve-O from Jackass. Yes. Yeah. The podcast with Steve-O and, and Joe Rogan and he, and they were talking about his concussions and his brain injuries, brain trauma, right, from all the stupid shit that he did. And I think it was Joe Rogan was like, how do you feel? He's like, oh, no, I feel fine now. And they, I think it was Rogan or Steve, I can't remember who brought up the really good point of you become used to the pain that you carry. Yeah. So if you're, if you are, if you're growing up and you're a 10 out of 10 day to day, you're really, you're a little kid and you're really, and then life starts to hit you with challenges and, fucking bang 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 and it drops you to a nine and then you get used to a nine and you think that nine's a ten and then you get hit with a few more challenges and you drops you to a seven but you get used to the seven and so the seven becomes a ten i feel like there's a lot of people out there that have dropped from a ten down to a six and they think that that's the best that life can get is the six now and it's like fuck if you you know if you found whatever solution will work best for you and a lot of that is going out into the unknown you can get that six back to a seven, to an eight, to a nine, to a 10, where you can have that like childhood joy and, you know, life um, uh, morality that you need. Right. So it is, it is really interesting. I, I find myself in a, 
really cool space right now where I'm 27 years old and I've got mates who are mid thirties, early forties. And then I've got my mates that are my age and just the difference in mentality around what's going on. And I mean, what's the, what's say you can't put an old head on, on young shoulders. Right. Yeah. But I, I feel like I'm trying my best to, to <laughs> grab that old head and put it on my shoulders. I spoke to, I spoke to a uh, mate a couple of, Wow, weeks ago on the podcast and it was like and you, you touched on something earlier when you were younger you're picking up things from when your dad was coaching with these mm-hmm. players it's he, he was similar in there was a lot of stuff from when he was younger then he went through his teenage years drinking and having fun and, and all of that and it is fun like don't get me wrong we all have fun through that experience and we learn from that experience and some of it's not necessarily as fun. Um, yep. it's, a, it's, a, it's a runaway, but he, and it was the same thing. He got, he's got to this stage of his life now and he's probably at the same point that you, myself, where you've got those friends you did that with, but then you've got these different circle. And it's, I guess, yep. what, what's your advice if people feel like they're not in their right circle of friends? And because I, I'm assuming that your friends that you've grown up with are still your friends. Yeah. Yeah, I think the number one thing that every bloke out there should do is go to the momentum mentorship. <laughs> um, no, um, look, uh, I think there's an interesting conversation here in that people think they need to cut people out of their lives. And there is a level of discernment that's needed because you should definitely cut some of the people out of your life. And I do an exercise once a year where I take one or two people out of my life around new years. Cause it's the start of a new year. So I like that place where I'll, I'll cut one or two people out and try to bring in one or two people. So bring in people that are better influences for me. But I think the, the, um, what you can do from a practical standpoint of, okay, I've got a lot of people around me that I'm not resonating with anymore. How do you make new friends, right? There are a lot of uh, mentorships. There are a lot of networking. There are a lot of spaces now where you can go and actively find new people. You can join a a gym, right? Like I came to Byron four months ago, joined a gym i usually like working out on my own but i went and joined a gym that did group classes and went did classes and got to know the people there and made some mates there and you know they're more into health and fitness so awesome um there are definitely practical ways i just think people are nervous to make new friends and they're comfortable with the friends that they've got because they're the friends that they know what there's a boot i think it's a boot bhutanese saying which is um uh it is it is better to uh we we prefer the devils we know than the gods we don't know right so we we like no okay i know you're a demon or a devil but i know who you are versus like oh who are these people maybe that could be good for me but i don't really know them so mm, i'm not i'm not too sure about that um so I, I just think there's so many different ways you can go about it. Join, join a gym, join a some sort of Facebook group now of people in your area, like go talk to the local barista or, you know, people in cafe. Now, obviously in within lockdown that most of the country's in right now makes it a bit more difficult, but there are, you know, I joked about the mentorship that we do at Momentum, but that's all online there. I'm, I'm sure there are other businesses that do similar things um, as well. And so I just feel there's, ways to go about it if you care about it enough if you if you care about bringing in new people into your circle you'll find a way to bring in new people um and i also back to what i was saying before is i don't think you need to necessarily 
like go, okay, fuck my entire friendship group and send out a group message saying, guys, don't speak to me anymore. You're no longer <laughs> my friends. Goodbye. Like you can just slowly distance yourself. You can, one of the best pieces of advice my dad ever gave me was you can have different groups of friends. You can have your footy mates. You can have your drinking mates. You can have your inner circle. You can have your, your work colleagues or schoolmates and they can play different roles in your life. Like there yeah. are people from high school who are really fun to drink with. Yeah. They're awesome. So cool. Let's go. When I'm in town, haven't seen you in three or four years. Let's go grab a beer, mate. Let's get the old crew together and let's go out. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Now, Am I going to give you a call and tell you about my my de- depression and anxiety? <laughs> Probably not, right? Um, so that different friends can play different roles in your life. And I think that was one of the best pieces of advice that my dad gave me growing up. Um, when I got to like 18, 19, as you transition out of high school and you start to lose a lot of friends because yeah. you're not seeing them every day and you go to college or uni and you start to get new friends, it's, it is an interesting thing where people can just play different roles and don't be afraid to put people in those roles I guess it's amazing how I've thought about this a lot over the last couple of years because same thing I'm like how how do I sort of maneuver myself into these different circles where I feel is is really true to me and who I am and I was like well at one point I stopped talking to a whole different group of high school mates because they weren't my sporting club mates and I never never gave it a thought yeah, a couple of them since because I'm in this space of mental health, have actually reached out and gone, oh fuck, like, yeah, like well done on making that sort of leap because mm. we wish we did it. And how do we do it? And it's like, mm. well, I, I, it wasn't necessarily by choice back then, but now becoming an adult, you do have those choices. And as you said, it's you're you're afraid of what's to come. Yeah, you're afraid of what you don't know, essentially. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, watching my baby, like, you know, a three, four-month-year-old walk around. They're not afraid of anything. Like, you, mm. you move and they have so much trust. They, they have to, to yeah. live. And I think we, while we aren't babies, we've got to learn to trust that, you know, trust to see, the, see where this of our own shit. Once we get yeah. out there, we will be okay. Mm. And, if, and if we're not, we'll, we'll, we'll find a way to be okay. Like, yeah. You mentioned you have mentioned your um, dad and mum a few times, and they are great role models in this space. You know, we did, I don't need to go into what they've done, but and I've read some stuff, some blogs that you've written about the impact they've had. But sometimes, because they're your parents, you just sort of haven't like tuned into what they've said to you because you're yes, you're their you're their child. So absolutely, like around that because. Not necessarily, and I say this with the utmost respect, kids don't necessarily listen to parents. They'll kind of mm. follow them and they'll – so how did you go about that? Because I'm sure now being 27, there's a whole lot of you that's gone, geez, they said a lot of smart things yeah. that I just completely ignored. Yeah, yeah. It's – it's it's uh, again, I work with, um, <clears throat> with young boys and with men and – I'm sure it's similar and it plays out amongst girls and women. I'll speak more to what I do know with what I experience and also what I've read and and the work that I'm doing and and research I've done is you get to 14 years old and you want to be a man. You, you, You want to be a man. What does being a man mean? It means making your own decisions. It means making, and even if that those decisions are mistakes, those are better than doing what someone else does. Right. And so I think a lot of boys get to 14 and they 
deliberately act out because they want to be seen as a man and as someone who's in control of their own life. Once you mature and you start to get more responsibility and you start to get more control over your life, it becomes less about revolting from your parents because you already have control. You already have the ability to make the decision, right? Whereas when you're 14, they're kind of making the decisions for you. And so you're like, fuck you, fuck you for making that decision. I'm going to go and sneak out of the house tonight or whatever. Right. So I think it's, it's a universal experience. I would say the way around it from a parent's point of view is open communication and, and trust and gradual giving of responsibilities, however that looks like within your own family unit. But um, for me, yeah, like I've got amazing parents, but also they've made a lot of mistakes. Um, And so I just think it's, as you get older, you start to realize that they're humans and that they want the best for you. Um, And I think parents loosen their grip because they start to trust more that you'll make your own decisions. So there's also that element of like, well, I know that I can make my own decisions. So I know that I've got that ability to, but I'll listen to mum and dad anyway because I think that they're right now and you've got that level of maturity to to understand that. Whereas, as I said, when you're younger, it's more a case of it's my way or the highway and people, like no one likes it. If I was to tell you that, if you had a boss that was saying that to you, you'd be like, fuck you, man. Like, <laughs> like give me more trust. I'll come up with the best solution. It might be the solution that you're saying, but if you put me into a corner. I don't like being here and I'm not going to necessarily enjoy this. Um, best case scenario, I resent you for putting me here. Worst case scenario, I do the opposite. Yeah. So it is interesting. Um, it is interesting. As I've gotten older, it just, I think it's more maturity and, and utilizing them as a resource and trying to, um, trying to use what wisdom they've got in my own life. Now, again, I've made decisions that are completely opposite to what they wanted me to do, but that's that level of, well, it is my life at the end of the day, you know, so I'm going to make the decisions that best suit me, that I think best suit me, sorry. And that's discernment. I think discernment's huge. Um, But why do I I think that I've got good discernment? It's because I made all the mistakes when I was younger. I I feel like that's the time to make mistakes, make as many mistakes as you can when you're young because the the stakes aren't that big when you're you're a teenager, right? Now, don't go go and sneak out of the house at 13, get in your car and parents' car and drive off somewhere. That's stupid risk taking, right? So, but there has to be, I love what I absolutely love. The more more I read about this is, um, is the heroes that we see in popular stories and movies. And the one that jumps out most is Harry Potter. There's a kid that continually broke the rules from movie one all the way to the end. Always. He broke all the rules, right? He snuck out, he did this, but it was calculated risk taking for the betterment of you know, uh, you know, we are for the betterment of the school and society in in that. So there is a level of like you do need to kind of push back on on the boundaries and push back on the rules, but you need to do it in a smart way, and you need to use your own level of discernment. You're going to make a lot of mistakes when you're a kid, um, which is why you also have parents there to support you and help you and pull you into line and say, mate, that was pretty fucking stupid, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, have you learned your lesson? Yes, I have. Great. Cool. What are we going to do next time? Oh, something else. What you said, right? Whatever it is. But oftentimes it's just about um, allowing your kids to make those mistakes. I-, I was speaking with a parent earlier in the year and he said, 
he, he summed it up really well. He's like, I don't care if you go and break your arm. If you climb up a tree and break your arm, cool. You're a kid. Go break your arm. I care if you climb up that tree, you fall out and break your neck. That's what I'm trying to stop. I'm trying to stop you from breaking your neck. I don't, you know, obviously I don't want you to break your arm, but if that's what you're, if you need to break your arm to learn a lesson, awesome. Um, but that's the parent's job is to ensure that they don't break their neck. Right. And hit, fuck, yeah. what, a, what a difficult job that is. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a tough balancing act to protect, but to, to guide. And yeah. I find it's probably one you really don't understand until to a, to a full extent, obviously, until you're in charge of kids. And then if it's, it's your own kids, you have this emotional yeah. attachment to they can literally cannot do anything, but mm. you, but then you look back at your life and you're like, the only reason I'm here today doing what I do is because of all the mistakes I made. It's not yep. because of all the good things you necessarily yeah. did. It's the mistakes which are the catapults to 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 anything. You know, you go go through every athlete that's won something. They've failed more times than they've won. It's mm. just that, and you see this stuff all the time. It's just the facts, that, and it's the same with life. You, you fail so much along the way. You know, yeah. Start and it starts as early as three and four. Like when you're doing your sums or your letters, they start, yeah. they, they make mistakes. You know, yeah. A is B and B is D and D is F and all yeah. that kind of thing. And you teach them. And so mm-hmm. it's about guiding along the way. Absolutely. I want to, I want to now sort of talk about your programs and I've pulled up one of the quotes that's on the website. So I'm just going to read that out. So this is from a 19 year old from one of your Prince, Prince to King programs. He said, before taking part in Dylan Ruse's Prince to King program, I did not believe there was much I could gain from being in a program with other men I hadn't met. In just the first five weeks, I have worked on the setting goals for myself and I have learned my main values. Before this program began, I was nowhere near being able to communicate or share my emotions. But now I'm able to hold tough conversations with Dylan about how I'm feeling or thinking. A large takeaway from these first five weeks is the group of young men that are part of this program with me. I think it's, I think uh, there was there's a few on there. I think that one, because a lot of them are, are people that are, you know, can be suicidal or very, very severely depressed where, and I don't know this guy, I don't know his name, I don't know anything about him. But he seems like someone that just is almost a little bit lost or a little bit misguided and just needs needed to learn and just mm. bit of confidence. So, mm. you know, essentially working in your program, you know, 14 plus, what is it that you are able to do and who are the people that you are helping and and what does that look like? Yeah. Um <clears throat> They come to me for a range of reasons. Some, as you said, they some of them are really battling. Others are doing pretty well, but looking more for a mentor, looking more for high performance strategies in their life, um, and then everywhere in between. So that, that's kind of the who of what I of who I work with. Um, specifically, like the what we're doing. You know, I am trying my best to give them the tools that I wish I had when I was their age, essentially. And, and I'm fortunate that I'm not their parents. So they listen to me. I'm not, I'm not selling them anything that's new. I'm just, I'm just the one that's selling them it. And I'm, I think one thing that a lot of parents could do a better job of is talking about the shit that they got up to when they were their age it's interesting. I had a boy message me 
just a couple of days ago and he goes, he was like, Dill, he's 14. And he's like, Dill, when was the first time you snuck out? And immediately, like, I want to say, mate, what the fuck are you thinking about? Don't sneak out, stay home. You're in, you know, you're in lockdown. Don't be a dumbass, you know, which is what a parent would say. Yeah. So I, I, I'm like, oh, yeah, man, the first time I snuck out was 17. I had my peas so I could drive. Um, why you, you know, what, what are you wondering about, man? Oh, you know, me and my mates brought it up today. Just wanted to get your thoughts. And then that's where, and now he's asking me, what are your thoughts? He's giving me permission yeah. to give him advice. I'm not giving unsolicited advice. What's worse than unsolicited advice? Not much, right? <laughs> and I just, you know, just wondering what your thoughts are. And I was like, oh, look, man, to be honest, probably not a great idea. You're in lockdown. Imagine if you got caught, fines, you know, probably on the news, that sort of shit. He's like, yeah, man, you're, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Now I've got no idea whether or not he snuck out or not, right? But I'm... I'm coming from a point of view where it's like, I've shared that, yeah, dude, I used to sneak out all the time. I was a little bit older than you, but I used to do it. Yeah. Is it the worst thing ever? No. Is it a smart thing to do? No. Are you going to do it? That needs to be your decision. You need to make that decision because if you feel like someone else has made that decision for you, you're going to go and do it later. Yeah. Anyway, if you yeah. feel like you've made the decision, you are starting to build a habit there of, okay, when my mates ask me to sneak out, I say no. And then all of a sudden they're still your mates, right? So it's like, oh, I thought they were going to like spray me or say I was a pussy or say whatever, right? Oh, okay, cool. I'm going to say no again. Oh, okay, cool. Nothing. They're still my mates. Like you, you've got these insecurities when you're that age. So um, it, I just think it's coming to them with relatable advice of like, yeah, dude, I was in that position. I made mistakes um, and this is what I did my recommendation is that you do the same thing or you do the opposite thing. Yeah. Um, and obviously I'm a lot less now I care deeply for these guys cause I'm working in a one-on-one -on -one fashion, but I have a lot less of an emotional investment in these guys than a parent. So, yeah. right. Like I'm not, I'm not at all saying that a parent could just easily be like, yeah, man, do what you want. You just make the decision, right. It'd be a difficult thing because you're like, don't you fucking sneak out. What could happen? Rah, rah. You, there's a lot more emotions behind it, but, um, the deliverability of the advice, if you can, if you can make it there, it's almost like inception, right? If you can incept the good idea into their mind without them realizing that you've done that, then awesome. It's it's yeah. kind of, it's kind of like that. But if you're t always making the decisions, it's going to build up to a point where they're just going to make a really dumb decision because they're like, I've got no control of my life. I've got no control of my life. I've got no control of my life fuck you, I've got control over my life and they go and do something stupid. You know, how, how many young guys would be in that situation is, you know, would be, I would say 90% of dumb decisions would be made from that unconscious yeah. um, perspective. You know, it's not like they're thinking that um, at that age. I think it's, I think it's two things in, in my, my opinion. And I, if your thoughts differ, that would be, that would be great because, great conversation happens that way but that that's essentially you've got a child who and this is why i believe people in general need mentors or coaches not just teenagers but adults as well because there's an emotional connection there like if you're mm. a parent you know if the parents your kids never going to ask their parent did you ever sneak out or if they are and then you probably the, the, I guess the perfect response is then for the parents to go to an outside source and say, I'm really scared that my parent, my son's going to run away. Mm. So then now they've got an outsider who hasn't got that emotional connection who can give advice. And then you go back and I know 
um, in one of the lockdowns last year. It was a, a similar situation where a 14-year-old was he, he wanted to quit school, wasn't doing his homeschool. He actually did run away twice for three or four days and police found him. And that was when fines were like 150 bucks, whereas now they're thousands of dollars. <laughs> yeah, like it's stupid. Yeah. And he, he's, I'm from, I've spoken to his parents recently and he hasn't run away because <laughs> the fines are a lot, lot more now. But yeah, yeah. I, I just said to him, like, is this what you want to do? And I was like, I was like do, you, do you want me to be here? Yeah, I do. Okay. Well, do you want do you want my advice? And he said, not right now. I said, okay, cool. Tell me what's going on with you. And and then the same thing. Wait until he gave me permission. And I said, look, what you're doing, I don't think is helping you. Let's, don't worry about your parents. And speaking to them, they were hysterical. Mm. And I was like, look, you've just got to let him make his mistakes. And they're like, no, we can't. And I'm like, okay, well then you need to go outside and get help for yourself. Yeah. Because if you're if you're fueling the fire. Yeah by yelling at him and doing all this, he's going to go do it. Yeah. And I think we all do when our parents yell at us to do something. For some reason, we do the opposite. Yeah, yeah. Yep. 100%. Definitely. So, it's, it's yeah. so true. It's, um, it's difficult because there's a little bit of me where it's like, cool, I'm, I'm, I'm not – I have this – and maybe it'll change as I get a little bit older and a little bit more confident in this space. But there are times where like my work is in direct conflict to the family dynamic. Yeah. And it's really difficult because you're going, you know, there's two sides to every story. So you take what the boys say with a little bit of grain of salt kind of thing, but you're also there for them and you're, you're doing your best to coach them. But there's also that element of like, the parents aren't making this situation any easier and they're probably looking to me to make the situation better when they're the obstacle. And so it's, it's difficult. And I'm not a parent either. And I'm 27 years old. And it's like, you haven't brought me on to give you parental advice. You've brought me on to help out your son, but can you really differentiate the two? Can, you know, if mm. it's funny when parents come to me with a particularly challenging boy or, or a boy going through things and they start to rattle off what's um, what, what the boy's going through. By the end of the 10 weeks, I've picked up that the parents are the exact same, you know, yeah. like, oh, he doesn't, he doesn't, um, he's really bad at getting his homework in and he, he's always kind of aloof and in the heads in the stars or whatever, right? And then when I get to my program, I'm trying to book in calls with the parents to say, hey, let's do a summary call and let's chat. You know, those are the parents that don't get back to me. They're the ones that are like, oh, sorry, busy. You know, let me, how's tomorrow work? I'm like, yeah, tomorrow's fine. And then three days later, oh, sorry. Right. It's like, yeah. You know, you've just, <laughs> you're the exact same. Where do you think your son got that from? Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're literally, they're literally watching it every day for 14 years. Yeah. 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 And one thing that I, um, I posted about on that just uh, uh, a while ago is for anyone that thinks that their son or child, struggles with resilience and, and struggles with challenges is they haven't, there've been multiple things, but the solution is go and let your son or child watch you struggle and overcome that struggle because yep. then they're seeing you do it. And they're like, Oh fuck, mom and dad can do it. That's interesting. Oh, how did they do that? Oh, they got on with it. Okay, cool. Yeah. I was, I made a post about this a while back. I was so fortunate that dad was my trainer. Yeah. Mum was there training too. They're really fit and healthy. And that's the number one way that you can show that you can get over something. 
is through exercise, right? Nobody exercise is difficult. It's difficult for a reason because you're, yeah. you're pushing yourself to achieve some form of fitness, right? So I dad trained us. Like when we were running and I was crying as a 10-year-old because I had a stitch and it was fucking hurting me and I didn't want to run and I wanted to be at home playing PlayStation. Dad was, you know, 50 meters ahead of me. <laughs> going, Come on, mate, keep going. At the time, like, yeah, like and everyone's going to have a different opinion. Like, oh, wow, how horrible. Fuck no. Like, that's how you build resilience. Like, yeah. I'm, I said to my dad when I saw him last, I was like, mate, you were soft. Like, you should have gone harder. And if you'd asked me as a 10-year-old, I'm going, dad, please, you're way too hard on me. Like, fuck yeah. you. But you, you eventually, you get older, you look back and you go, that made me more resilient. That helped me become who I am today, where, like, I'm able to self-motivate to get to the gym. I'm able to get over obstacles in my business and grow business like those they are lessons that are invaluable and so i say to anyone whose kids are struggling with resilience go and again i was super fortunate i was in the club our dad had a really great policy because he was the boss right of bring your kids in don't care bring the club work-life balance isn't a thing it's all just life and the very public thing about football was you know when your dad loses like the, you're watching the game, you're watching the company play and then it loses and you can you get to see how does dad handle the loss? How does mum handle a loss? Oh, that's how they handle it. Cool. And you get to see that 20-something times every year as I was growing up. Yeah. So I was so fortunate that I had a very peculiar experience growing up where like a lot of kids, a lot of my mates, a lot of kids now don't see their parents work. They don't see what hard work looks like. They don't get to see firsthand their parents come up against a problem and overcome it. They don't get to see their parents get an L, something in the L column and then next week get a W and and see how they handle both of the situations. They don't. Yeah. Um, but there are ways that you can. And I, I think it's so important that you do um, for your it's, kids' sake. It's one of those things, especially um, with people, a lot of people working from home at the moment is I was – following someone who's a, she's a PT, she's got a three-year-old and a six-month-old mm. and she, she's very vulnerable on Instagram. And um, like I, I, I try to follow a lot of people for the reason I want to follow people that share this stuff, which, you know, feels, feels my cup up as well because there's people out there that are being vulnerable and are teaching. And she doesn't really know the whole mental health side of things, but she was crying because her business for the fifth time has just been shut down and her three-year-old walked up and said, why are you crying, mummy? And she had a discussion with her three-year-old about what was going on. Her three-year-old can't rationalise all of it, but you're teaching this three-year-old that it's okay when things are really hard just to cry or to sit in that. And then then the next day when this mum is running around really happy, the kid then sees sadness doesn't last forever. Depression doesn't last forever. Anxiety doesn't last forever. It like working through this has allowed my mum, and they don't they don't rationalise like this, but that's yeah. what's going on within in them is. And I know from my my relationship that I'm in, whenever we used to fight, my now wife would panic if I sort of went to another room because. Mm-hmm. And what we, we got to the bottom of it is when her mum and dad fought as kids, they would fight inside the house, then they would go outside and resolve the fight. She never saw her parents resolve a fight ever. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, all right, so when we have a kid, and my auntie was like, 
we spoke to her and she's like, you need to resolve things in front of kids. You need to teach them Mm. that you can resolve things because like depending on the level of fight, arguments and disagreements will happen in life. That's just, that's just life. Um, So you've got to be able to teach people by showing them that you can resolve it. It's, it's okay. And I think that's where, you had the the role models in in the sport winning losing every week is that roller coaster of how are they managing their emotions some days they're you know, a bit grumpier and sad because everyone around them's hurting and then other weeks it's it's you know joy and jovial yeah i want to touch on the momentum lifestyle project as well yep. um because you do have uh open in the 6th of october um there's a new opening, I think. Is that yep. correct? What, what's what's that about? What age bracket um, and what do you guys do there? Yeah. So essentially we're a wellness and a men's wellness and performance business um, working with men over a 10-week uh, program that's all online and, and is a group format um, to help guys move through four areas or four key areas that we find are really important to what it means to be a man, but also what men are going through and what they can really use, what, what tools they need most. And that's, um, muscle mindset, mission, and masculinity, um, are four pillars. And we put all our content underneath at least one of those pillars. And, you know, for us, it's all about creating some sort of change amongst this space that is the men's space. We kind of looked at it and for the average Joe Blow, the space isn't very appealing. You know, it's, it's a lot of stuff that's out there is deep work and there's not a lot of practical dip your toe in the water. Let me see what the men's space is like, or let's see what, um, doing work on yourself actually looks like. And so we really wanted to hit that market of 30 plus um, guys that have an idea of the space or kind of starting to bring awareness that there are problems in their lives and they need to address them. Um, And they can be struggling. They can be doing really well and looking again, similar to what I said before, some of them are really struggling. Some of them are other coaches that are looking to get in and do this work themselves. Um, And, and I guess, bring in more knowledge for them. Um, and so that's essentially what we're doing. And, and we're trying to create this change amongst men that we see fit under what Steve Bidolf talks about, which is backbone and um, heart. So integrating the two that you need the backbone, but you also need the heart. And some men are really good at the heart and need more backbone. And some men are really good at the backbone and need more heart and finding balance and integration of the two so that you can become the best version of yourself. Yeah, I love it. I'm just like, yeah, perfect summary. Um, yeah. I think, and as you said, like, it's not just for people who are really struggling, but people who, you know, just want to, you know, further their own education and continue to improve and evolve as, as a human being because essentially, like, life will continue to change and the world around us will continue to change. So we need to keep evolving ourselves. It's, it's, it's just the way things go like what we are learning as as people today would probably have a very little relevance to 100 years ago because Mm. it's just a completely different time just a couple things before we sort of uh, wrap things up because you're very busy despite being locked down you're a very busy man um although playing tennis this morning and um you know having a bit of fun 
along the way. Uh, I did see you on someone else's Instagram the other day as, as well. Uh, a bit of fun there. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit um, about the habit stacking you're doing um, and, you know, how are the things, you know, what are the things, and we have touched on this, but what are the things that you you make sure that you are, you are doing to do to keep well um, as a staple, but then even sometimes when you really want to delve deeper into who you are and evolve into a, you know, this different person for a day or two, what are those yeah. kind of things? Yeah. It's, it's waking up. The first thing I do is meditate journal. They're my first two things. I've gotten really good the last three, four weeks of getting my journaling practice back in. Um, it was something that I did struggle with and, and kind of came and gone, but now it's, it's pretty solid over the past month. Um, meditate journal. And then I go grab my coffee, have my coffee. Um, I read, uh, for my own benefit because I, you know, enjoy learning something new. Um, and then exercise is, is the next thing. Um, especially in lockdown, any form of exercise is good going for a walk, going for a run, push-ups, pull-ups, whatever you can do, do. Um, and then, getting outside of the house, regardless of if it's raining or whatever, but just leaving the house because fuck, you can just get so claustrophobic just being working from home and then you finish work and then you jump on the couch and watch TV. And then all of a sudden you haven't, you know, maybe you Uber eats all your food. So <laughs> you haven't left the house in a week or so. So I just think it's important to get outside as well as much as you can. It's yeah. And I, I think it's at the way you say it, it's, it's so simplified that we both know like how much hard work goes into getting it to that mm. point. And even you said like, you know, three to four weeks of that journaling, but, and when we spent sort of 58 days in that hospital, I, my journaling was so diligent. As soon as we, we got through that phase, my journaling stopped and no coincidence about four weeks later, my life, I just felt myself dropping in moods and all of that. So it's like in the last few weeks, I'm like, no, you've just got to journal. Like it doesn't matter if what you write just doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter if it's half a page or three page. You just got to start writing and, and go from there. Yeah. So, yeah, I remember a lot of people said, I don't know what to write. doesn't matter what you write, just start writing. Just start writing, exactly. <laughs> it'll, it'll come out. Yeah, um, it'll, it'll, your brain will take you there, your body will take you there. Yes, yes. Um, I think one thing I just, I just wanted to touch on before I asked you to give some advice for teenage boys but um, or and parents as well, but I think what you're doing, it's solely focused more around men, but the byproduct, and I think you'll agree, the byproduct of a good man is is a good woman because, and, and you do speak about this in the masculinity side of things, is if, if a man is looking, taking care of himself, he's in a better position to be there for those around him, whether it be his, his mum, his daughter, his cousin, his wife or whatever. Mm. So, Spot on. I think it, we can't... We, we live in a society, right? Not to take a Seinfeld quote, but live in a society. A part of society is there are men and there are women. The more men that are doing the work and the more men that are stepping up into healthy forms of masculinity and integrated forms of masculinity, the better it is for society. It, it, it's as simple as that. The more we hang shit on men and the more that we just try to destroy masculinity and, and say that it's a bad thing and and tear it down, the worse society is going to get. 
because you're now tearing down half the population. They're not feeling too flash hot about being teared down. They're going to act out or they're going to become docile, boyish versions of what men are, right? And so it's so interesting. I just finished reading a book called King, Warrior, Love and Magician, which is about um, the four main archetypes that are uh, in male psyche. So if you think of us as a computer, that would be our hardware. So the four main archetypes that would make up our hardware as human, as, as men. And um, what they said towards the end of the book was this attack on the patriarchy is really an attack on stunted male psychology. So boy psychology showing up in men, because you've got a lot of men out there in the world that are, that are not acting from a place of integrated masculinity, which is boy psychology and, not to use specifically the language of, of this book too much, but they talk about the the shadow sides to these archetypes. So essentially the negative sides to the archetypes. If you're out of balance, you're in the negative side or the shadow side, right? And you're seeing just a lot of men or boys that are showing up in the shadow sides and, and labeling that as masculinity. And so my one of my big things with the work that I do and why I call myself a masculinity coach is because the amount of messages I get just by saying that I'm a masculinity coach of like people going, Oh man, like you must get a lot of shit for being a masculinity coach. It's like, why is that the first response? Yeah. Like, why that's so, and that's deliberately why I do it is because I want to change this idea that masculinity is inherently bad or toxic. It's not, it's inherently good and positive and a necessity for society to continue moving in a proper and positive direction. It is a necessity. It's not saying that you can opt in and out of just like healthy, integrated feminine energy is a necessity for society to continue moving forward in a positive way. And so I, I don't even know what the question was, to be honest, but, <laughs> um, but, but really understanding the, uh, the role that masculinity plays in society and how important it is for men to be working on showing up as their truest version of themselves. It's a brilliant answer to the question that you don't remember. Um, it truly is. <laughs> um, <laughs> and just the last, last thing is what's your advice for the teenage boys? Um, and, it, and it will have a flow on effect to some teenage girls and, and the parents that are out there now listening and around the parents and then we'll uh, let you go. Mm. Um, I would say the number one pace advice for young men is, is to really start to get your own house in order. So really start with the basics, you know, start with the basics. What does your day look like? How are you showing up in your day to day? and integrate some good habits into your daily routine. Okay. You should be exercising daily. You should be meditating or spending some time alone with your own thoughts. Um, and then the third one is bringing in positive male role models yep. is, is really important. If you don't have a, a dad in your life or you don't feel like your dad is a positive role model, bring in other outside positive role models. An uncle, an older brother can play that role. An older brother's mate can play that role. But bringing in healthy examples of 
masculinity and start to emulate those people start to say, okay, why do I look up to LeBron James so much? Oh, it's because he's such a hard worker and a hard trainer. Cool. You can be a hard worker and a hard trainer. Start to do that yourself. Um, and so I just think it's really important that we've la- we don't have any ritual processes anymore. We don't have any like you're a boy. Okay, cool. Now you're a man. We don't, we don't have that anymore. We've got these pseudo rituals, these half rituals that kind of work, but I don't think we really take boys into manhood. Whereas for thousands of years we did the, the elders of the tribe would take all the boys when they turned 14, they'd go into the woods for a month and they'd come back and they'd be men. Right. So I think just bringing in healthy examples of masculinity and what that looks like is really crucial and and uh, if you don't know what a healthy masculinity looks like ask people that you respect in your life ask women and men that you respect and go hey what's a good role model who should i be looking to start to really have an internal dialogue and an, if you need to an external dialogue around what it is that you want to embody and who you want to become and who you want to be is really important uh, thank you so much for the chat today. I'll share all the links to Prince to King, your Momentum Lifestyle Project, um, in the show notes and in all the posts. But thanks very much for joining me today, Dylan. Mate, thank you. It was awesome. Great to chat. Thanks for listening to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. If anything in this podcast has brought up difficult feelings, please call Lifeline on 13-1144. For any further information, or if you want to bring your story to life, contact Shane at shane at vitalityfit.com.au. That's V-I-T-A-L-I-T-Y-F-I-T-T dot com dot A-U.